Thanks, Vicky. Hey guys, one of the things that we do every week is uh, we give away a great book. Uh, we've already given away uh, copies of this book, but because it ran out the door, we're giving away more. Uh, it, it's, it's called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller. This is the book that, on marriage that you want to read. So if, if you want to um, get a book on marriage, this is fantastic. Uh, I'm going to put it down the front again. But once again, if, if you find that it's not there and you'd like a copy, come and see me and come and see, uh, or, or Tim, uh, we'll get you a copy. Um, I would love, I would love if every married couple reads it. Okay, and that's something I've just realised I haven't said to Kate. So now we've got to make some time to read it and actually talk about it. It, it is going to help your marriage, no matter if you've been married for two days, 20 years, or, or, or even more than that. It's going to help. Okay, no matter where your marriage is, if your marriage is blissful, it's going to help. If your marriage is on the rocks, it's going to help. Okay, um, how about we pray as we look at uh, this topic of marriage? And uh, let's pray. Father God, I, I pray that as we look at your word, you would help us to understand it. But more than that, you would help us to see the way the gospel shapes marriage so that our marriages will be centered on Jesus. And because they're centered on Jesus, they would be healthy marriages. They would be selfless marriages. They would be happy marriages for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, when I came here uh, as a pastor, uh, I told the leadership team what I was preaching on for the first three years. Every Sunday, here's what, here's what I'm preaching on. And it was very interesting that uh, one of the people on the leadership team, when I said, oh, I'm going to preach on Ephesians 5, they said, you're pretty brave. And I didn't kind of follow that up and say, hey, so w- why do you think I'm brave? But, but I think there is that one word in Ephesians 5, submit, that kind of when we hear it, when we read it, we go, oh, that's just so kind of wrong. It makes us bristle for some of us and makes us angry. But also when we're thinking about marriage, there's, there's all these emotions that go on within us. Some of us here are going, well, why should the church actually tell me what to do in the privacy of my own home? But then there's more personal things. Some of us are in marriages which are going really great. Well, you know, right now, our marriage seems to be great. We're communicating well. We're really enjoying. We're happy in our marriage. And it just seems like it's great. And yet... There's some of us, our marriages are hanging on for dear life. There's fighting, there's frustration, there's no fun, let alone intimacy. Some of us have got purely functional marriages. It's like we're coexisting. Oh yeah, we can remember a day when we, we were in love. We remember a day when we were passionate but now it feels like we're maybe brother and sister. Maybe, we're ju- maybe it feels like we're just two people that kind of sleep in the same bed, got a couple of kids or three or four kids, and yet our marriage is just not a joyful place. Some of us made, marriages, uh, made promises 
that for whatever reason those promises were broken. Maybe it was the other, other person who broke them. Maybe it was us who broke them. For some of us, we've never been married. And the idea of marriage or speaking about marriage actually wells up within us this sense of, of not having something we really want. For others of us, we have lost a spouse to death. And thinking about marriage actually makes us think about that spouse and how we miss that person. Some of us maybe aren't married, or maybe we are, but we have seen our parents go through divorce or even stay together in a marriage that just just wasn't functional at all, let alone happy or loving. See, I think my, uh, my friend on the leadership team, when, when she said I was brave for speaking on Ephesians 5, she was not only saying you're brave because there's, you know, there's that word submit, you're brave because this is, a, this is a battlefield of emotions, this is a minefield of emotions. And yet, we need to hear what God says about marriage because as we're going to see, marriage is actually a reflection of the gospel. If you call yourself a Christian and you are married here, your marriage is meant to reflect the gospel. In fact, at the heart of a Christian marriage is the gospel. And also, what we're going to see also is that your marriage is one of the biggest tools that God has got for you to make you more like Jesus. And your marriage is meant to be a place of strength of joy, of encouragement. And so if your marriage is draining right now, can I just say there is work to do? If your marriage is not in a good place right now, can I say there is work to do? Now, I want to say this very, very clearly. One of the things about every time we preach on sex and relationships, and we've done it twice already, and, and even when I preach on Ephesians 5... Um, there's always people that, that have come up to me and said, Hans, I know you're very busy, but you know, I'd like to talk about something. In fact, over the last few weeks that has, that has been happening, I've been meeting with different people who, you know, a sermon's brought something up, you know, maybe a pattern of sin or a pattern uh, that, that they don't like or, or, or something else or a question or how do I meant to love my colleague who believes this or lives like this. Uh, and can I just say, when those questions come up, I'm overjoyed. Well, over the past few years, when, when people have come to me and said, hey, our marriage is actually in a bad place, I am overjoyed, and here's why. I'm overjoyed because people are going, I need to work on this. We need to change. We want to get better. And that's actually a really good thing. And so if you are here, and, and through this sermon you're going, actually, our marriage is not in a great place. The worst thing that you can do is go home and not talk about it. The worst thing that, the second worst thing that you can do is not to seek help. And if you want to seek help with me or or someone at church, we can put you in touch with people. I bring that up because I read a very worrying stat that 70% of marriages where people have been married for 10 years or more, and I've been married for 10 years or more, People consider their marriages to be cold, 70%. 
And so I would assume that people in this room who have been married for 10 years or more, there's at least a few of us who feel that way. And so we not only need to hear what God says about our marriages so we can bring our marriages back in line with the gospel, but we actually need help. And that's what the church is here for. We are here together to help each other with the various areas of our lives, including our marriages. And it makes makes us be humble. Because if I need to admit to you that my marriage is not in a great place... That means I need that humility. And humility, I think, is the hardest thing because we're full of pride. And so we need to pray that God would be would make us humble. Can I say, and once again, this is a very, very long intro, just three things very quickly before we get the main three things. Um, the first is, if you, if you are single, can I, can I say, don't switch off? It's very easy to go, okay, this is a sermon about marriage. I'm single, so therefore it's it's not about me. Can I just say, it's not about you, but it's so important that you're listening. Because I need you for my marriage. I need you to be able to say, hands, actually, how is your marriage going? I need your, your prayers for my marriage. I need you to be a loving brother or sister in Christ, to actually help me see the flaws in the way I am relating to Kate. And and so please be listening, thinking through how can I use what I'm learning today to help marriages, to help my brothers and sisters in Christ. The second thing is this. Maybe you've been married for longer than Kate and I. Can I just say what, what today's sermon is about is not about my, my wisdom because I dare say you've got so much to teach me and Kate about marriage. It's not about that. It's actually about listening to God's word about marriage. It, 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 it's, it's listening to what he says and, and I've got the privilege of bringing that before you, right? Uh, and so there, there's only going to be one thing, I think, in this sermon where I say, oh, we've done this in our marriage and this has been really helpful, Right? Because I don't want, want you to feel like I, I'm, I've got all the answers. No, I'm going to God because he's got all the answers. And last, last kind of little point before we get on to the main three. Um, Kate and I aren't perfect. We're, we're, we're just not perfect. Marriage is really hard work, right? And, and, and can I just say, one of the things that happens when I preach on marriage or I talk about my marriage um, People will say, you actually need to talk about the failures that Kate brings to the marriage because you always talk about yours, but you never talk about hers. Can I just say why I do that? I do that because it's not my job to confess Kate's sin. It's my job to confess my sin. And in marriage, it's not my job to work on my partner's sin because I've got enough sin to repent of on my own. And so what we're going to say today, you are not going to get ammo today to use against your spouse. But you are going to get ammo today to use against the sin that is residing in your own heart that is making your marriage hard for you. So with that very short introduction, let's look at our three points today. We're going to look from this passage, the wife's role the husband's role, and then God's secret to a happy and thriving marriage. The wife's role, the husband's role, and then what I call God's secret to a happy and thriving marriage. Well, well, let's have a look at the wife's role. Have a look at verse 22. 
Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, now, I dare say, if you are anything like me, you you hear that word submit and, and you go, man, I just don't like that word. I don't like that word, right? The first time I ever heard the word submit was not in the context of marriage, it was in the context of WWF, you know, wrestling, where, you know, someone's hurting someone else and they, they submit, they tap out. And, and it kind of gives this, this kind of vibe of the husband so ruling over the wife that she is going, okay, I tap out, you tell me what to do. And can I just say, as we're going to see, that is not what this passage is saying. In fact, that's the antithesis of what this passage is saying. So if, you, if you've got that, that idea in your mind, can, you, can I just say, can you take it out of your mind? Because that's not, not what this passage is saying at all. What you've got to see is that Jesus is the model of headship. As we're going to see, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He is the head of the church. And therefore, that the church submits to not an ogre, but a lover. And so wives submit to someone who loves them, not rules over them. Jesus' headship over the church expresses care and love. Once again, the wife submits in marriage not to an ogre but to a lover. And that's super important. That is super important. You see, when you, when you take the word submit out of the context of Jesus, his church, and the gospel, what happens is that, that you just hear the word submit and you take all these worldly ideas about the word submit and then you put those into the word submit. Instead of going, let's have a look what the Bible says, especially this passage says about the word submit, you forget about Jesus submitting his will to the will of the Father and the church submitting to the Lord Jesus who loved, himself, loved the church and gave himself up for the church. That is the model, right? And so there's five, five specific things that we need to see. First of all, notice that, that he caused the wives to submit not to obey. He, Paul says, submit. He doesn't say obey. Here's why that's really important. Because I think here, submission is, what's implied in submission is that the husband is doing his best to love his wife. It's not that he's perfect, but he's doing that. And so submission is not about unthinking obedience, but grateful acceptance of the husband's loving care and leading. It's grateful acceptance of the husband's loving care and leading. Now, that doesn't mean the husband's going to be perfect. I am not a perfect husband. I never will be. Ladies, if you're married, can I promise you this? Your husband's not perfect either. And I dare say none of you you guys are surprised by that, right? But your submission to him is about you willfully submitting to his loving, leading, and care. Secondly, notice how the wife is submit... Sorry, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. 
I once heard a preacher say, all women should submit to all men. That's not what this passage says. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that at all. Where the wife is meant to submit to her own husband. So that means that if a, a, a man comes into your life and says, you should submit to me because I'm a man, you can say, you don't believe the Bible. You don't believe the gospel at this point. In fact, you're bringing into, into things, into this relationship, ideas that are just sinful. And, and you're probably doing them for sinful reasons. And if any man says something like that to you as a lady here at this church... The, the next thing after talking to your husband about it, you need to talk to me about it. Because we're not going to have abusive men at this church. Thirdly, notice that Paul appeals to women to submit voluntarily. That means the wife is meant to submit out of joy and her free choice, not out of coercion. At my previous church, uh, there was a guy who was married only for a few years older than me, uh, more than me, and he had a great wife. He st- they're still married. They're, they're going great. And, uh, but I can remember he was really frustrated. He came up to me and he said, you've got to tell your wife to submit to me. And I was like, oh, so tell me what's happening. She goes, well, she won't submit. In fact, she's, she, she'll tell me I won't submit. And I went up to the wife and I said, is that true? She goes, yeah, yeah. And then I pulled him aside and said, how are you going at loving your wife like Christ loved the church? I said, oh, but that's not the problem. I'm doing a great job. And then I turned to his wife and said, how do, you, how do you think he's going? And she said, oh, he needs a lot of work. And I, and I said to him, brother, hey, why don't you, when you can start loving your wife as Christ loved the church perfectly, when you've got that nail perfectly, then you can actually talk about your wife submitting to you. But until you've got that perfectly, down perfectly, that's not talk about it. Six months later, he said, Hans, that was really frustrating because I realized you were saying, oh, you're never going to do that perfectly. So actually, don't worry about whether your wife submits to you. Just worry about you loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And that's how it should be. The wife doesn't say to the husband, hey, you are not loving me absolutely perfectly. But the husband doesn't say to his wife, you are not submitting to me. He just goes out of his way to love her so that freely and joyfully she may submit. Now, once again, have a look at this passage. Two reasons are given for marriage here from creation and one from salvation. And because it was there in the beginning and because it reflects the gospel, this view of marriage is part of God's good created order. It is not something that was there post the fall. No, Paul is saying, no, if you have a look at the gospel, this is how the gospel works. This is how it works in your marriage because of what Jesus has done. Verse 24 says that in everything the wife should submit. Or I think a better translation is to look to the husband's loving leadership in everything. Now, what this means and doesn't mean is very significant. If the wife is looking to the husband's lead in everything, that means that the husband has to lead. That means the husband, as we're going to see, 
He is leading. That doesn't mean he's in control of everything. So, so in my family, in my marriage, there's a bunch of things that Kate controls. So, for example, money, right? Kate is the one that controls our money, and that's good for our marriage, right? That's good for our family. Because if I controlled the money, I think we wouldn't be in a... We, no, I don't think. We wouldn't be in as good a financial place as we are. Because Kate has got skills in that area. Kate is very thoughtful in that area. And I'm not as thoughtful or skilled, right? But does that mean I'm not leading her? No, it still means I'm leading. I'm just saying, hey, you're more skilled in this area. Just think about this church. I hope you realize that that Tim is far smarter than me in a bunch of areas. And so there's sometimes that even though I'm leading him, I'm going to say, hey, Tim, what do you think we should do? And when Tim says, oh, I've really thought about this, I think we should do X, Y, Z, and I'll go, that's what we're going to do. In fact, Tim, you've got to teach me how to do this because I don't have the skills that you do. But I'm still leading, right? Jesus, when he um, washed his disciples' feet, he was serving them, but he was still leading. He was still the leader. See, what this means is that The wife looks to her husband who's loving her for leadership. But what that doesn't mean is that the wife should... It doesn't mean that if your husband is abusive or subjecting you to physical, sexual or emotional abuse or hurting your children, you're not called to submit to him. And it doesn't mean that if that is happening in the home that you can't leave him. You may have to leave, and that's okay. And you may want to push back against that. That's okay. So can I ask you, ladies, how are you going at submitting to your husband? Are you you showing him that you submit, or are you trying to mother him? Are you trying to correct him all the time? Are you trying to manage him? Or is he someone that you're going, I trust God and I trust you. And so therefore I'm going to look to you for leadership. Now some of you ladies here are going, well, Hans, I find it really hard to submit to my husband because he's not being, sorry, he's not being the leader that I know he should be doing. Well, let's talk about him now. Let's have a look at that second point, the husband's role. Now, what what I want you to see is that Paul spends a lot more time talking to the husband than he does the wife. In verses 22 to 24, three verses to the wife, verses 25 to 33, eight verses to the husband. Why? Because the husband's role, I think, is actually harder. Have a look at what the husband's role is. Verse 25, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What are you meant to do as a husband? You are meant to so love your wife that she sees you giving up your life for her. And your model is Jesus. How did Jesus love the church? He went and died for her. He gave up his life for her. 
That's your model, man. That's true masculinity. That's your model. And notice that the husband is meant to love his wife, verses 25, 28, 33. And so, husbands, can I ask you this question? If I was to ask your wife, if I was to sit down with your wife and say, do you feel like your husband loves you? What would they say? Now, I'm not asking, do you try to love your wife? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, what is her perception of your love? That is, are you loving her how she needs to be loved? And we're going to talk about that a bit more later. If I asked your kids about you loving your wife, would they say, yeah, yeah, dad, great job in loving mum? I dare say uh, my kids would, uh, would say hands, they would say hands, they would say, dad has got a long way to go because we've all got sin to repent of. I, just this week, I had a joke with Kate. I said, look, you know, I'm pre- preaching on Ephesians 5. And I was like, I'm not looking forward to this because there's a lot of areas of my life where I go, man, I'm actually not doing a great job here. And I need to repent of my sin, just like I dare say a lot of you guys. Now, now I dare say when a lot of us as husbands, we go, I'm meant to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And the first thing in our minds would be go, but hence you don't understand my wife. She's not this, or she's like this, or she's like that. Can I just say, I, I get it. Your marriage is hard. All marriages are hard at some point. I get it. You married a sinful person, but they married a sinful person too. But can I say, your marriage, no matter how bad it is, is not as hard as the marriage that God's got. In the Old Testament, God marries Israel. And what does Israel do over and over and over again? She runs off to other gods. In the Old Testament, it gives this very graphic picture of her whoring herself after other gods. And what does God do over and over and over again? Keeps forgiving her, keeps loving her. And so, brothers, I dare say your marriage is hard. I'm not denying that. But have a look to God and have a look to what he's done for you. You and I have run after other things so many other times and yet God keeps forgiving, keeps forgiving, keeps forgiving. That's, that's the model that we take to marriage. So can I ask you a couple of questions, three questions, gentlemen. First of all, how do you love your wife and lead her spiritually? Have a look at verse 26 with me. In verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wife, uh, just as Christ loved the church. Verse 26, what are we meant to do? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish and holy and blameless. He's saying there that Jesus died for the church so that he would present her to himself on that last day without any wrinkle or spot or blemish or anything like that. But I think he's also saying, husband, that's your job. That's your job. One day you will stand before Jesus on that last day and you will present your wife to him. 
And he will have expected you to lead her spiritually. How are you doing with that? How are you going? When was the last time you prayed with your wife? When was the last time you asked her how she was doing spiritually? When was the last time you reminded her of the gospel? For some of us, it's been forever. Guess what you should do today? Go to your wife and say, I'd love to listen to you and see what I can pray for you. I haven't been doing a good job in this area and I need to, I need to confess my sin to you, right? And can I just say, I've got to have a conversation with Kate this week. I've got to say, hey, babe, look, look you know, you know our, our marriage is in a really good spot right now. Well, we're having a lot of fun. But can I just say, after reading Ephesians 5 and after preaching on it, I've got a lot of stuff to repent of. And I'm sorry I haven't led you like I should. I dare say every husband has to do that in this room. Second of all, how do you love her through conflict? If, if this passage is, is at the center of my life and I'm meant to be leading her and loving her as Christ loved the church, I lead her by apologizing when we're both wrong. And so that means if she's 95% wrong and I'm only 5% wrong, it's my job as the leader of this marriage to say, hey, babe, can I just confess my sin to you? I'm really sorry that I said this, I did this, I didn't do this. It's, that's my job. And I'm not doing that so that she will go, oh, yeah, and here's my 95%. And I'm not doing that so that I can then go, yeah, but what about you? You've got a lot of stuff. Are you going to confess? No, no, no. I'm only dealing with my sin. When was the last time you apologized to your wife because you got something wrong? I think one of the biggest problems that we've got as men is that we try to be right all the time. We're full of arrogance and pride. And one of the things that we don't do is we don't apologize. Now, we've all got reasons why we don't apologize, right? You know, I could say I don't apologize because in Danish culture, men don't apologize and therefore I didn't see my dad apologize, therefore I don't apologize. But that's bull because guess what? First of all, I'm not Danish. I'm actually a Christian. And therefore, my Christianity trumps my Danishness. And I'm not really Danish. I'm a Boganazi anyway. So it's a pathetic excuse, right? When was the last time you apologized to your wife? Let me tell you, I dare say she's got a few things that you could apologize to her for. And one of the reasons why you don't apologize to her is because you're full of pride. And so maybe the first thing that you need to do is confess your pride to your, your Heavenly Father and say, can you actually change me? That's a prayer I pray pretty much on a daily basis. God, I, I am so arrogant, full of pride. I, I need you to change me, right? Here's the third question. How do you love her sacrificially? Once again... Have a look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That means, men, we have to love our wives sacrificially. We give up our things for our wives. That's what we do. How do you do that? Notice how Jesus doesn't use his headship to crush or stifle his church, but to sacrificially love her. Notice 
that, that there's a sense in which Jesus is working so that the church can be all that she is intended to be. That's your goal for your wife. You're meant to love her and serve her so that she would flourish. So that she would flourish. Is your wife flourishing under your care? Maybe you don't know whether she is. You've got to sit down with her and go, hey, what does flourishing look like for you? How can I help you make that happen? You see, so many of us guys try to live our married lives as if we were single. So we get married and what happens is I've got my wife who takes care of the things at home, um, you know, takes care of some of my needs, food, everything on the table, but really I run after my job or my hobbies or my other things like I'm a single guy and I don't give those up to love my wife and help her to flourish. No, I, I go after my things that I want and my wife is a convenient add-on piece to my life so I can flourish. But guys, I, I, I know it's corny, but can I say this? When you sign your marriage certificate, you didn't sign a marriage certificate. You signed your death certificate because the single guy died and now the married guy lives. You have died to being a single guy And now you live as a husband who gives up his life to his wife. And so, guys, we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And when we do this, we preach the gospel every day to our wives without opening our lips. How are you going at serving your wife and helping her to flourish? Some of you guys are going, I can't do all this. This is so, so hard. And it is, right? I'm not saying it's easy, but that's why we've got guys together. That's why some of us, uh, a lot of us are actually in men's groups. You know, I think here's a question that you guys should ask this week when you guys meet in your groups. How's your marriage going? And if you are leading that group or you're on the leadership team or something like this, please, please offer some things that you need to repent of. Because unless you take the lead here, the other guys in the group are not going to do that. They're not going to confess the things that they need to change. We're just going to go, when guys get together and we ask each other hard questions, what we do is we usually go, oh yeah, no, you're good. And when guys do that, we're just lying to each other. And so let's not do that. Let's encourage each other to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And lastly, here's God's secret to a happy marriage. And before I get to the passage, here's what happens when I talk to married couples for marriage counselling, and it happened a number of times over the last year. And uh, what what usually happens is we get to a a point in our conversation where I I say to the, the husband, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't feel like your wife respects you. And they go, that's exactly it. And then I turn to the wife and I say, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't feel like your husband loves you. And she goes, finally. And yet, if you have a look at verse 33 of Ephesians 5, it says this. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself. 
and the wife must respect her husband. Isn't it interesting that at the end of this passage, which is so profound about marriage, you've got something that if, the, that if is put in every marriage, the marriage would flourish. If, if the wife respected her husband in a way that he felt respected and the husband loved his wife in a way that she felt loved, wouldn't that make your marriages better? Of course it is. Of course it would. Well, what we've got to realize is that, man, our love for our wives motivates her respect for us. And her respect for us motivates our love for her. It's, it's this kind of flywheel that if respect and love is happening, there's momentum in our marriages. But, but the opposite is true. When a husband feels disrespected, he finds it very hard to love. And when a wife feels unloved, she feels it makes it very hard for her to respect him. And so we've got to work hard at this. Here's the conversation that we've got to have. Husbands, you have to ask your wife, how can I communicate to you that I love you? Now, I'm not saying that you don't love your wife. But a lot of us guys, we love in, in ways that are unfeminine. What that means is we, we provide food on the table, house, you know, all this kind of stuff. But our wives would love us to sit down with us and just talk. But we're so busy providing a home or something like that that we don't have that. Or our wives would love us to share with us all the things that we're so appreciative of for her. But we don't do that because that kind of makes us feel awkward, right? But if we're loving our wives as Christ loved the church, guess what? We're loving her as the way she wants to be loved. Not how we think is best for her. We're having that conversation with her. And wives, here's what you need to do. You need to go to your husband this afternoon. When you sit down, you go, all, marriage, all married couples are going to sit down sometime in the next 24 hours with maybe you know, a glass of wine or something like that and ask, the husband's going to ask the wife, how can I love you in a way that makes you feel loved? And the wife is going to ask, how can I respect you in a way that makes you feel respected? And if you start actioning those things, I promise you your marriage will get better. But do you have the courage and the humility to have those conversations and to take that feedback on board and change? One of the ways that Kate and I I try to put this in is we have a weekly check-in. Wednesday nights generally, we don't have it every week. Uh, Kate went to hang out with her sister this week and so we'll have it next week but we have a weekly check-in. And what we do is we ask each other a, a few questions. The first is, how, how are you feeling this week? Just talk about our feelings, what we're feeling, right? Second of all, we give an affirmation. I say to Kate, hey, I really love the fact that you did this. This made me feel like this. I was so appreciative. Thank you. Well, we then talk about our needs, and it could be like needs from my spouse, or it could be just needs in general. 
But part of the conversation around the needs is how can we work it so that you get what you need? Maybe, you know, your wife might say, I'm just exhausted because I have no sleep. Well, how can we actually work it so that you get more sleep? Maybe the husband goes, oh, I just feel like I need, like, to go over to my mate's place and watch a footy game. Okay, well, how do we make that happen? Right? And then we, then the, the next thing is we offer an apology. We say, I want to I say sorry because I did this this week or I said this or I didn't do this. I'm really sorry. And then we pray for each other. Very easy. Sometimes it takes 15 minutes. Sometimes it takes two hours. But imagine if you did that every week, how much better your marriage would be. See, at the heart of your marriage, if you're a Christian, is the gospel. The fact that Jesus gave up his life for the church, we give up our lives for our wives, or, and we, if we're married, we respect our husbands. You, you practice, you do these things in marriage. Why? Because at the center is the gospel. Your marriage is meant to be not about you guys, it's about glorifying the Lord Jesus. And as you do these things, you realize over and over again is that what Jesus is doing through your marriage is he's using it as a tool to shape you and your spouse to be more like the Lord Jesus. So your marriage and the way you approach your marriage is a way that you demonstrate your love and your reverence for the Lord Jesus who died for you. Let's pray. Father God, I want to pray for the the marriages here in this room that aren't where they should be. Maybe Maybe it's just that kids came along and we were so devoted to the kids that we forgot about our marriage and now that the kids are at a certain point, we look across the dinner table and we don't even know the person staring back at us. Lord, help us to be humble enough to realize that there's a problem, but also help us to be humble enough to ask the question of what I need to do to change. Well, I pray that it starts with the men, the husbands in the room, who ask their wives, how can I love you in such a way that you feel loved? How do I need to change? And Lord, I pray that the men in this room take the lead in that and they lead by love. Lord, I pray for me and I confess before all my brothers and sisters here that I need to I need to do a far better job in reflecting the gospel in my marriage and my love of Kate. Help us all to do that as men. But Lord, I pray for the women here that they would ask their husbands, what can I, how can I show you that I respect you? And that when the husband gives feedback, may they be humble enough to take that on. Help us to seek out help if we need it. But Lord, we pray that our marriages are strong, not so that we just enjoy them, which is such a great thing, but they reflect and beautify the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.